Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. So today my guest is Bella Duncan, and you might know her on Instagram as a kid with two homes. A really, really cool conversation with someone who's been there as a child. But before I bring you my conversation with Bella, uh, I wanted to let you know that I'm going to be doing a couple more Q&A episodes over the summer. So please get your questions in to kateanthony.com slash questions. And I will hopefully be able to answer your question on the air. Um, A couple of tips is to keep your question as concise as possible and as relevant to a broader audience as possible. If you have a specific question, you're going to have to go over um, to the Facebook group and ask it there. But for Q&A episodes, obviously, these are need to be questions that are relevant to a broader audience and that are sort of concise and to the point so that I can read them and answer them on the air. All right. So, Bella Duncan. Motivated by putting her words into actions, Bella is an empowered kid of divorce who is determined to make change for the better. Currently 23, Bella has recently completed a Bachelor of Law and a Bachelor of Psychology. Bella has gone between two homes since her parents divorced at age three. Growing up in two homes, she experienced firsthand many of the issues children of divorce face. As a young adult, she was inspired to provide a helpful resource to help kids of divorce feel seen, heard, and less alone. And I got to tell you guys, I learned a lot from Bella in this conversation. I really, really did. She is so smart and insightful at such a young age. It's truly remarkable. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Bella Duncan. Bella, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. Thanks so much for having me, Kate. I'm so excited to be here. So, okay, let's just start off with your story. And yeah, yeah, I mean, your parents divorced when you were three. Yeah. And you've come here to talk about the sort of what it's like (laughs) to be you, right? To be the kid. Um, So, yeah, tell us a little bit about your, your story. Yeah, sure. So like you said, Kate, my parents divorced when I was three, so quite a young age. Um, To put everything in a bit of context, I have a younger brother. Um, At the time um, my parents got divorced, he was one years old. So um, he's a very important person in my life. So I was three, he was one. um, And for a number of years, uh, my parents had somewhat of a high conflict divorce. So I would say probably from the ages of three to 18, um, and in that time, uh, 
I learned a lot of lessons um, and I had a lot of life experience, but definitely felt a lot of, you know, emotions in relation to my parents' divorce. That then spiraled into me, I guess you could say, bottling up quite a lot of emotion um, about Mm -hmm. my parents' divorce um, to the point where I turned 18. Oh, really, it was just before I turned 18. It was my high school graduation. Here in Australia, it's a bit of a thing. You know, you could get your parents to come. Um, but one thing that was was always difficult for me was who do I invite? You know, you don't only have mum and dad, you have your grandparents, which is great, but you've also got your parents' par- partners if if that's a thing. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's a lot of communication going on. There's a lot of being the messenger going between both parents. And I just blew up. I lost it. It was just all too much, mm. um, you know, going between both parents and being this messenger and not communicating my feelings um, about how their divorce was impacting me. And how it had for the previous 15 years, I bet, right? You had 15 years bottled up. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. And Mm -hmm. so um, I literally sat my parents down individually, not together, and just said, I can't do this anymore. It's too much. You guys need to sort this out. It's it's not healthy for me. um, And I, I can't continue to be this messenger I can't continue to live my life this way um so long story short that snowballed into a number of events um whereby my parents understood that they needed to somewhat put us first not that they hadn't before but really sit down and and consider how their conflict was impacting us Mm -hmm. and so uh for my 18th birthday, that following January, I had both my parents there. And as a kid of divorce, I know that doesn't sound like a big deal, but when you're so used to having two birthday parties every year because, you know, your parents don't get together. Couldn't be in the same room together. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty big deal. So I had both my parents at my 18th birthday. I was able to have both my parents at my 21st birthday. That then snowed into a heap of events when my parents actually started to get quite comfortable around each other um, and their partners and could see the benefit that it was having for my brother and I that a big thing in our lives was sport. Um, We always, you know, could get along about sport and dad wanted to play basketball on Sunday night, but Sunday night was our night with mom. And I I just put it out there and I just said, well, why can't mom play? And dad was like, um <laughs> you can ask her right and then I put it to mom I was like no way like but I'll put it to her um story short we ended up playing in a basketball team together um on <gasps> wow. a Sunday night which to a lot of my friends and a lot of our family who've come through the years it's just been a complete 180 yeah. I mean of course there's conflict and of course there's things still um connected to my parents divorce and they remain divorced and um you know remarried and everything but it's an amicable situation so I guess you can say it's a unique story where I've experienced both high conflict divorce and now low conflict. Um, and I, at the moment, I'm 23 years old and, you know, I still am the kid and I'm still um, experiencing what it's like to be a kid of divorce. So that's that's just a little glimpse into our story um, yeah. and the uniqueness of it. But all that's, the experiences that come. Yeah, it's amazing. So, you know, at the, what was it like for you? I'm curious, like that moment where you actually, you know, you had to make the decision, call both of your parents individually to have this meeting with them where you said, this is enough. I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that? What was that process like for you to sort of craft yeah. that? 
conversation or like whatever, whatever happened, right? What was, what was that like for you? Because it seems like no kid should ever have to do that. <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah. And it, it was an interesting one because it was quite different with both my parents. So with mom, I was definitely off coming off being quite emotional about a, a, an event being my graduation. And so yeah. it was very much a, I have no control of this conversation. This is just coming out and this is very emotional and I need you to understand me. Um, and my communication skills there were probably quite emotionally filled. Yeah, but sure. then I realized that I had had that conversation with my mom and she really heard me. And it was really important that I had that with my dad as well. So the way that I approached it was very dependent on my relationship with both of them mm-hmm. and my communication skills that I had mustered up kind of over the years. Um, and that's why I'm such a big advocate for kind of tooling kids of divorce with communication skills because it shouldn't have taken me that long to have that conversation. And sure, it wasn't it wasn't my responsibility, but it's so important that you are, as a kid of divorce, are in touch with your feelings that you can communicate them. And then equally that your parents can understand that you need to communicate some certain things and they need to be open to that communication. Uh, and I think it was at that point in my life and in my parents' divorce and my relationship with my parents that I was able to hone in my communication skills and make it effective. I am an advocate for kids of divorce having really good communication skills because it's ultimately, I think, what got me over that hill of uh, being silent in my parents' divorce and being able to to overcome um that hill to ultimately reach my goals and determine what I wanted out, out of life as a, um, irrespective of my parents' divorce. Um, and then I think if I just flip it back on you and your your listeners, I think that also speaks to parents because whilst it's all all great for, you know, me to put out resources and content about kids, you know, forming their own basis for their own lives and goals through their parents' divorce, it's equally just as important, if not more important, that parents understand that they need to foster that environment for their kids to be able to build those communication skills and have those conversations with them. Because like you were nodding before, it's not the kid's responsibility to manoeuvre themselves through their parents' divorce and their conflict without the assistance or understanding of their parents as much as that is effectively possible. Yeah. And, you know, I think you were lucky that you had two parents that heard you, right? They heard you like off the bat and they were like, oh shit. (laughs) Right. I mean, the way you describe it, it's like you said it and they were like, oh no. And then everything changed. But like, was there a process? I mean, okay. So let's talk, let's talk about that. I often say that, um, I may have, I have had many conversations with my parents about their divorce. And, and the high conflict nature of it and, you know, how it was making me feel. But I, I often say perhaps I was just not communicating it in an effective way or in a way where my parents were ready to hear me. I mean, I was 18. And like you said, um, you know, that's 15 years of going through a high conflict situation where I, I wasn't silent, definitely uh, not silent. It's uh-huh. just whether you know, we were at that point in their divorce and in my ability to communicate how seriously it was affecting me. Um, So that process itself wasn't just the, you know, oh, by the way, guys, this is not making me feel very nice. Um, All of a sudden, I've never said this. It it was very much a consistently persisting at 
at this idea of I need them to get this and it just hadn't gotten through until that point where I effectively, especially with my mom, lost it. It was it yeah. was a horrible day. I just I literally could not go through with it anymore. I couldn't it, it all just came bottling up. And I don't want kids to have to get to that point for their parents to understand that the the high conflict nature isn't serving your kids their life or their goals. And so um, that process was very much me coming to understand what I was feeling in my parents' divorce, but also how I was going to communicate that. And that, that I would say, took years. Okay. So I'm curious when you say that it was high conflict, what does that mean? What would that, what did that mean for you? Right. Because we, because, right. Because we know when we talk about high conflict, what we're talking about, what does it look Mm -hmm. like for you? Yeah, for sure. And I think I just want to premise this part with the fact that everybody's situation is extremely unique Mm -hmm. and no two situations are alike and nobody can ever take away the experiences that you've had and what your definition of high conflict is or low conflict or, or whatever that may be. Um, and as a kid of divorce, you you own what you've gone through and you own what um, other people experience as well. So for us, it was very much, I, I guess when I think about it, it was very much I was in the middle and the messenger. Um, and so, for example, my parents' inability to communicate effectively with each other put me in the middle and to the extent where when I wasn't in the middle, it would turn into conflict on pickup or drop-off, uh, whereby, you know, We'd, we'd get put in the car of the parent that we were going to um, and mum and dad would start having a conversation, which would then turn into a conflicting conversation and me and my brother are in the car. Parents can whisper all they want, but your kids know. You know, yes. body language is big. You know, you don't have to have an all-in-brawl fight to, to have a high-conflict situation where your kid feels anxious that, you know, on pick-up or drop-off, it, it's not going to be something that you're looking forward to. I wrote a blog on that, you know. Little things like that. Um, other other points of high conflict for us was um, definitely around the fact that, you know, when it came to dad remarrying, um, how that made mom feel and how, you know, she would communicate that to dad or not at all, but through us. And so, you know, ways that we felt the, the level of conflict was more so sometimes between their, their non-conflict but rather their inability to communicate with each other and rather through us. So it would come out as like snide comments to you or, or like tell your dad or like, how how did you feel in the middle? How was, how were you in the middle? Like, I want to sort of, I want to almost look at like the, 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 the spectrum of kids being in the Mm -hmm. middle. Right. Mm -hmm. For sure. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's take a, Let's take an example. When I was in year three, I think it was seven, mm-hmm. um, all my friends thought I was so cool because I got a phone. I remember thinking, why do I have this phone? I have this phone so that my parents can call me when I'm at the other parent's house, which is great. But there would be times when dad would call and mom wouldn't answer the phone. That was dad's night to, to call us. But then, you know, me having a phone was a, was a solution to that. I could answer the phone. I could, you know, communicate with my parents. And I thought, and if we're talking exactly how I felt, and this is a big thing that I talk about, is responsibility. Mm. Being in the middle makes you feel as though you are responsible for your parents' conflict 
And ultimately, you were responsible for your parents' divorce. And in my situation, when you have a younger brother, you're responsible for protecting him from this feeling that you're having because you are somewhat in the middle. And that is extremely difficult for a child to deal with when they try to understand where, you know, they sit in life irrespective of their parents' divorce. If you're, I don't know, a 15-year-old teenager who's trying to work out life and where you sit and all those normal teenager stuff, but you've got this responsibility of assisting your parents communicating with each other or, you know, communicating where, you know, your schedule or what's going to happen, that can be pretty heavy. Uh, Yes, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) Right. And so I think that's a really important point that, that you felt in the middle, not even because they were passing messages through you or to you, or that they were arguing over you, but even by the fact that you had a phone because they, they couldn't, they couldn't communicate with each other to the degree that you had to have a phone so that, so that they could connect with you directly. It might not feel like, you know, oh, we, we got our friend because we can't communicate. I don't know if anybody would ever acknowledge that. Right. It, it, oh, it's just easier. It's just easier that way. Oh, I'm glad it's easier for you. But, but now I've got an entire responsibility that I am now the messenger. Yeah. And I just want to caveat this with the fact that I have a brilliant relationship. I'm very lucky to have a great relationship with both my parents and I love them very much. And they've given me way more than I would want and need but it's difficult when you just brush over things sometimes and think it's just easier where my voice I think is really important to say hey it might be easier in your divorce and in your conflict but think about how that's impacting your kids and I think that's um that's something that's not necessarily always talked about and it's just the little things whether it be pick up or drop off whether it be buying a present for your kids to give to your co-parent, you know, these very little things that is just easier to overlook, Mm. but can seriously have an impact on your child. So when you say like getting a present for the other parent, Mm. like, what do you mean by, do you advocate for parents doing that and facilitating that? Like, yeah, yeah, I think this is a really interesting point. I, um, it was my dad's birthday in April and I was thinking, how can I, but why why do I get a bit anxious around this time? Like, what, what what am I thinking? And I was like, I very much recall growing up thinking, oh, it's dad's birthday coming up. I don't have a job. I'm 10 years old or yeah. I'm 11 years old, yeah. but I want to get him a present. Yeah. And often I, I was fortunate enough to have grandparents in my life and, and at times my parents definitely. But, um, you know, asking your parent who is in conflict with your other parent hey mom and dad I need money to buy dad or mom a present mm-hmm. who you supposedly really don't like who you present, hate <laughs> right can be yeah. really difficult and I think that whilst you know you have your conflict and you have your divorce and there, there's all these things going on in small situations like that think about your kid yeah and think okay yep what does my kid need they That's need right. a if if it's safe and well to do so a relationship so help them at, you know facilitate that and I also think uh that that we should and I advocate for this too right that it shouldn't be you should not your kids shouldn't have to ask you to do that your kids shouldn't have to ask you for money to do that, right? It's, 
hey, it's Father's Day next week. Uh, you know, let's go get your dad a card. And if you want to buy him a present, let's, you know, have you thought about that? What would you like to get him? Right. So that you're not just facilitating it, but you're actually, you are taking, the adult is taking the responsibility of even thinking about it or, right. And it shows the children that we care, that we care about their relationship with their, with their, with the other parent. Right. Exactly. And it's, it's not about the conflict and it's not about what that means or, you know, if I can almost like see some parents or, you know, being like, this doesn't mean that I, I want to get your parent, you know, your opposite parent a present and, you know, have all this hope that, yeah. you know, I'm buying them a present. It's, it's no, it's not about any of that. It's about you. It's, not, it's yeah. about your kid mm-hmm. having a relationship with your co-parent. And um, I am a big, big, big advocate for that. Yes, I am too. So I'm glad to, to know that that was a, a good experience for you. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor today. For over a decade... I've helped divorcing moms put their children at the center of all of their decisions. So whenever I hear about moms struggling to co-parent with an ex that abuses alcohol, I have one system in mind, Soberlink. Soberlink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they're not drinking during parenting time. Soberlink's real-time alerts Facial recognition and tamper detection ensure the integrity of each test, so you can be confident your kids are with a sober parent. With Soberlink, judges rest assured that your child is safe, attorneys get court-admissible evidence of sobriety, and both parents have empowerment and peace of mind. Trust the experts in remote alcohol monitoring technology to keep you informed and your kids safe and secure. To download the resource I created with Soberlink, Checklist for High Conflict Divorces, visit Soberlink.com slash DSG. And now back to our show. You know, you were so little when your parents got divorced. I'm curious about, do you remember the conversation? Do you remember how they told you? Do you remember that whole experience? I talk about this in my blog about acceptance. Um, mm-hmm. not, not specifically about our situation, but I'll go on about that now. I was so young um, and I have some vivid memories of dad leaving the house, but um, I, I don't know if that was the night that he left or whatever it might yeah. be. Uh-huh. But, um, you know, th- those type of ideas and I vividly remember being upset because, you know, I missed my other parent or whatever that might be. I don't remember the sit-down conversation. But what I do know is that divorce and accepting your parents' divorce is an ongoing process Mm. and it's something that you consistently have to do even 20 years down the track. um, It's something that you still need, might have conversations about. Um, Mm -hmm. And so no specifically when they got divorced I was so young I don't remember the conversation if there even was one um but I know that I have had consistent conversations with both my parents about accepting their divorce years after it happened um because it's an ongoing process yeah yeah I mean it really is it really is. I mean, I know that my son has asked questions over time. There's so many different questions that he has asked over time that I thought, and and we got divorced when he was three as well. And so mm-hmm. it's like, he has a similar experience from you. I asked him recently, I was like, what, what do you remember from that time? And mm-hmm. um, let me tell you, we crafted it with a co-parenting specialist, with a child development 
a specialist with, you know, like all, we had all the specialists. We crafted the conversation with an inch of its life, the whole thing. And what my son, and it was, the conversation was, we were going to, we had the conversation and we told him that it was happening. And then we told him that, you know, mommy had a new house and that we could, you know, we can go over and see it whenever you want and you can mm-hmm. choose what toys you want to bring. Oh, you know, all that stuff like over time. Yeah. Well, what my son remembers is, I don't know, you guys told me, and then you gave me a box and told me to pack my stuff. And I was like, wow, no matter how oh, that effort, yeah, right. Yeah. All, no matter how much time and effort and money that you put mm-hmm. in to crafting this perfect message, what kids remember is totally out of your control. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, no, that's not what we did. We didn't do that. I swear. I promise we, we tried didn't to do that. <laughs> I mean, so it's, it's yeah. actually very interesting. I think that goes to speak to a lot of perspective yeah and how different the kid's perspective can be that's right that's right no matter how much effort how many books how many everything you read and you know really invest which is so important yeah um so the kid's perspective can be vastly different Um, (laughs) especially when they're so little I mean you know because their memories you know is you know just forming memory at this point right and so you know but um I have I have a question. What what would you say? What advice would you give? Um, like maybe a teenager who's having issues with the other parent, you know, um, who may not feel like they have a voice. Um, you know, like some listen. Your parents were. It sounds like your parents were great. You know, and they really heard you. And of course, it was an ongoing conversation and stuff like that. But like, really, ultimately they were willing to hear you. Um, what would you say to kids who maybe don't have that kind of relationship with their parents or just don't feel like the other pa- one of the parents really hears them or will hear what they have to say? So what's the point? Yeah. And that, that I've experienced that with many people who've written the blog and that can be a really difficult thing because no matter how much you read the steps on how to communicate, you, you might go through all the steps and you might communicate that and your parents not up to a spot, spot in their life where they can hear you. Right. And that for a kid, it's heartbreaking because you've mustered up this courage, you've tried to develop this skill, but your parents just not hearing you. And I think it comes back to the idea that you're not responsible for your parents' happiness and how they deal with things. Mm. But in saying that, you need to be supported as well. And when you when you understand that you're not responsible for their happiness or how they're dealing with their divorce and you've tried to communicate and you're basically banging your head against a brick wall, like I said, it can be heartbreaking. But my advice is to really think about what you want out of life and how you're going to achieve your goals irrespective, separate of your parents' divorce. And that that in itself is something really hard to swallow. And that's why I'm also an advocate for the kids in the parent community, because if your kid's not able to communicate to you, then you really need to work on that because they need to be able to send that message. And I think it's a two-way bridge, but equally as a kid, that's not for you and that's not your responsibility to make sure that they get the help that they need. No. And so it's so important to do everything that you can, of course, 
have your communication skills, really get in touch. What outcome do you want and how do you want to communicate your feelings? But if, if you're not getting through or if you're not being heard, then how are you going to flip this around and really think, okay, how do I accept this part? And how do I now focus on what I want to achieve irrespective of my parents' divorce? And that in itself can be extremely difficult. Um, and that's yeah. why I'm also a massive advocate for getting professional help because whilst there's, you know, so many things that we can read and so many things that we can do for ourselves, sometimes it, it really takes speaking to a professional and really understanding how, how you're going to work through that. I would call it emotional trauma and understanding how you're going to yeah, move forward despite an inability to get through to a lot of the time, the people that mean the most to you. I love what you say about thinking about yourself, right? That like, because I think that it's a very hard concept, I think for children, especially if they're, if there's in the middle of some kind of conflict with their parents, whether it's because of, you know, in the middle of their con, the parents conflict, or just with their own conflict with a parent, right? The idea that you, that you matter, right? That, that you, what do you want and what do you need, right? It's not about, I know that, I know that my son will, you know, sometimes not have conversations with his dad because he's like, I don't, you know, it's like, then his feelings are going to get hurt or I don't want to, you know, I don't want to hurt his feelings or I don't want to deal with that or whatever. And, you know, I always say to him, like, you matter in this. He's in a, he's a grown up. He'll deal with his feelings, but you have to be able to speak your truth to him. And he may not hear it because he may not be able to hear it, but you still need to be able to speak it. You do. It's bloody hard. And I think that, again, I'll offer the the perspective from the kid that it's all well and good to hear this stuff and to know it. But when you love your parents so much and you work so hard to keep things amicable because they might not be in other situations, having a really tough conversation can be really difficult to get your head around because you're thinking, I don't want to add to this conflict. I don't want to add to, you know, the negativity that surrounds this and what, yeah, I know my perspective matters, but, you know, I just can't be bothered because uh-huh. it's a lot of effort. And I I will always, always sit here and say that's not enough. That's not okay because you matter. And you have to be selfish within your parents' divorce because you and your goals are so important irrespective of what's occurred between your parents' relationship. But that, getting your head around that can be really tough. It can be hard. I mean, and I get it. It can be hard for grownups, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's really yeah. hard for adults. And so then you're having this conversation, having, tr- having trouble having this conversation with somebody who, and listen, I mean, in my opinion, if there's a parent that you feel, uh, you don't feel safe talking to because they've never heard you before or their response or reaction is selfish or whatever, and it always has been, there's a consequence to having those difficult conversations and you're aware of them. Yeah. Right. And I mean, it's human nature and it's innate to, to want to avoid that. And as a kid or as a teenager going through, you know, puberty or, or trying to understand where you sit in life, generally, those are the things that they're the first things you're going to avoid, but they're also the very important crux and what fundamentally, you know, establish you and your goals. I think. An important example here and a really difficult conversation to have 
um, I speak about in my blog about time. Mm. And this is something that's quite contentious for, uh, in my opinion, for kids of divorce is you, you feel as though you have this idea of limited time with your parents because maybe you're going between two homes. Yeah. And having those conversations, oh, I have a party this Friday night, but I know it's our only kind of night with you, mom or dad. Can I go? These aren't things that kids who aren't from a divorced family have to think about. These are, they've got a party on Friday night, awesome. First thing I think about, that's my night with dad. When am I going to see him that week? Again, not my responsibility to make sure I'm spending time with my parents because, you know, I'm a kid with two homes. But that's ultimately where your kids' thought processes are and that's where, where they're thinking, okay, these aren't even conversations about fundamentally I'm struggling with accepting your divorce. These are simple conversations that kids have to have with their parents that might be quite difficult about a party on Friday night. Mm-hmm. Like, it, you know, these conversations can go from seriously serious and difficult to have to just a very simple event that they, you know, you have to communicate to your parents, but you find it difficult because of circumstances that you find yourself in. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting point that I think parents don't think about, right? And I think it would be a really interesting thing to for us to think about inserting into a conversation with our kids, right? Like, hey, if you have a party, if you have something that comes up on a night that you're with us, like don't I don't ever want you to think that you have you have to choosing choose between like we'll work it out. We will totally work it out, right? And that just that is so beneficial to your kid just to hear it. Because yes. you might think, right. and I often hear this, of course I told my kids that, of course my kids know that our divorce is not their fault. Yeah, but have you have you said that? Like, and I, I know that. And do we model it? Do we model it? it? That's, that's the and thing. Mm-hmm. That is the thing. And so, yeah, sure, you can verbally say, oh, if you've got a party on a Friday night, of course you can go. But, I mean, I haven't seen you and oh, we don't really get to spend too much time together and, you know, because you've got to go to your mom or you've got to go to your dad's and you need to think exactly what you're saying, modeling and actions speak louder than words. It's often the things that, of course, uh, and I often hear this from parents, of course, my kids know that. Of course, I want them to go to the party. Of course, I want them to have a social life. But what are you saying in other respects that make them feel opposite to that? Or are you explicitly saying, we'll work it out and genuinely making your kids feel like we're a team? And we can work this out. Yes. And I, and then working it out, right. Then actually, then actually like, then actually out. being like, let me talk to your dad. We'll figure this out and, and we'll figure something out, you know, so that we don't, you know, or it's perfectly okay. If you miss a night with me and I'm told it's totally fine. Like, I think that's, that's another piece of the conversation. It's not just like, oh, we're going to make up the time. Right. Because I think that there's this fairness thing that gets put on the kids, right? It's about fairness and I have to make up the time and I, right. And it's like, no, go to the party. We're fine. That's difficult to get your head around because you, you under, you tried. And I think this is really difficult from, for a kid is you are empathetic in a way that you, you get it because you miss your parent as well. And you wish you, you could be with them 24 seven, but you're not. And so you, you empathize with them to the point where before you even have the conversation, before your parent can even tell you it's okay to go, you've ruled it out and they don't even know you have a party on a Friday night yeah. because you don't even want to bring it up. Right. 
not because they, you know, have told you, no, you can't go to the party, but because it's all just a bit too hard. And as you said, in so many ways, you've already made them feel like if they, if they choose the party, there's some, it's, you're going to take it personally, right? Not only that, you got to make this time up. It's like a makeup yeah. session at swimming lessons. That's right. When you, make, when you miss right. a swimming lesson, you've yeah. got to go to another one. And yeah, it, it, it is very much something that parents think, oh, we can just, you know, do it. But the kid does feel responsible for that. And that's not right. So how do you think parents can mitigate that or not? I mean, in my mind, it's like it's everything that you do up to that point, right? So mm-hmm. that they don't you know, you don't have conversations about fairness and equal time mm-hmm. and right. 50, 50, um, and things like that. Right. And making up time. You just don't have mm-hmm. those conversations along the way so that when they get mm-hmm. to that point, it's not, I mean, what do you, what do you, what do you, I completely agree, mm-hmm. but I also think it comes in actions or even wording that doesn't even speak directly to that. For example, if you're spending quality time with your kid. It's totally okay to say it's so nice to be spending this time with you and it's really quality. It's it, it's really awesome. Just because, you know, it, it's not saying because you're not with your dad, it's great that we're together. No. Yeah, you no. Say you're feeling to your, your kids. Say, yeah. yeah, I love spending time with you. But if you have something on, that's okay because we can, like, that. that's just life. Mm-hmm. You need to live your life. While, while still trying to commit time, you know, we can still have this quality time where we can find it. And it's not, oh, but you spent exactly what you're saying. You spent last Saturday night with your dad when that's our night. So are you going to spend an extra night with me this week? No, those aren't the conversations. It's the, the premise of that is I just love spending time with you. And your kids do want to hear that. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. They want to hear that they, you want to spend time with them and that you want them around. And, you know, that yeah. that's really important too. But mm-hmm. it's just not putting the negative connotation and always linking things back to the situation being the divorce. Yeah. I often find that too often, you know, you might be having a great conversation, or but it always has to be related to. Oh, God. Because right. Because your kid was two homes or because. Right you know, no, like, let's just break it down to your relationship with your kids. Sometimes it doesn't have to be related to the fact that we only get three nights a week. No, we get this quality time together and making that a positive thing can, um, and, and just not having to talk about limited time or those type of things can, um, can really lead kids to feel like they can have that conversation when it gets to time, Mm -hmm. um, you know, about that. Friday night party or whatever it might be. Right. Yes. Yes. I so agree with that. That's so great. You have a great video a while ago. I don't know, like a year or so ago on your, on your um, Instagram about what it's like. It was, it's a video about what it's like to be a kid with two homes and Mm -hmm. unpacking your stuff and packing up your stuff. And it was such a, it was such a profound visual. And can you describe the video and then also, um, and we'll link to it um, in the show notes, but describe the video and what you wanted to convey in that and how we can do better as parents. Definitely. Oh, thank you for bringing that up and thanks for um, lacking it. I think um, it was my very first video actually. Um, oh my God, really? Up on a kid with two homes. Yeah. Cause I just thought I, when, when people ask me what it's like to be a kid with two homes or they try to get a glimpse, I, 
I often talk about the little things and one of those little things is packing and yeah. it is a bane of my existence. I mean, you know, I always said on a Wednesday night, I've had to pack for a Saturday because I'd be with dad Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And I'm talking since I was in kindergarten, I'd have my netball dress at the bottom of my bag for Saturday on a Wednesday morning. Um, and and it's those little things that people don't think about that are ultimately consequences of divorce, and that's fine, and you deal with it. And I think I'm totally more responsible and I was going to say, right, you're a great planner because of it. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Sure. My son would never be able to do that. My son literally transports every piece of his clothing out of his closet. He takes the whole thing, all of his wow. hangers, and he runs out to the car, puts it in the back. I mean, it's a whole <laughs> thing, and it's fucking tragic to see him do that. Every it is. It's hard. I, I, and I, I totally empathize with how difficult it is to see it. And I will give the perspective. It's, it's bloody hard to do it. Yeah. It's, um, it's frustrating. And it's like, what's more important to me? And for me, it's my relationship with both my parents. And I am 23 and I still go between two homes because that's what I choose. But it doesn't make the packing and unpacking any easier. I literally call my friends or I call one of my parents or I say, you need to sit with me while I pack because I hate this <laughs> and mm-hmm. and I can't fix it because I'm choosing to go between both homes and oh, at, this, at this point in my life. But, you know, as parents, yeah. to answer your question, sit with your kid, help them, help them plan because there was nothing more frustrating when I was in high school and I forgot my sport uniform at mom's because I, I, I didn't pack properly or I was too annoyed to pack properly or I was too busy to pack properly. Or you but just fucking you forgot parent, because that's what happens to people. Or you just forgot because yeah. that's what happens and and you can't take every, well, for me, maybe your son, go, go him. <laughs> like I couldn't take everything. And then, you know, they, there comes a point where your parents' solution is, oh, you would just have two of everything. No, that's not that's not practical and that's not what your kid wants. They, they want their stuff yeah. and they want that. The, the fact is they're going to have to transport it and it's just what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that video just really highlighted the process. Um, you know, it takes a good, well, on a good day, depends on what I have on that weekend, but like a decent 20 minutes, half an hour to make sure I have everything. And, you know, that means that you literally have a makeup bag or a skincare product that you unpack and repack every week so um you know I often have friends who go away for work or you know go on a holiday and they're like oh I hate having to take my suitcase around like wow I've done that every week (laughs) and um yeah yeah I think that video just highlights it um it does and it's not something to to feel sorry about or or be like oh it, it sucks and it's really important to acknowledge it Right, but at the same time, there are ways that parents can help, and I, from my, um, from my perspective, I think it's genuinely just helping them plan, even sitting with them while they do it, because it's a, it's it's not a nice process sometimes. Yeah, I think sending a kid to the room, and be like, pack up your stuff, is, is a little. I don't know. I mean, and I think I'm sure, I'm sure I've been guilty of that over the years as well. Like, go pack your bag, you know, and it's like. Yeah. I hadn't thought about like what that experience is like for him every week. Right. <sighs> yeah. I mean, yes. And I, I, I do again, yes, I am an advocate for the kid, but I, I completely empathize with parents. Like, I mean, it's just a practicality. Yeah. Um, but I think what that video highlights is that a practicality or a mere, you know, consequence that just is, can still emotionally 
have some impact on your kid. And just to be aware of that is the whole purpose of my blog. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to share with us? Any sort of last words of wisdom for the parents out there about what this is like for, for their kids and anything you want them to know? Just be aware. And I think really everything that you do or every decision that you make, um, if there are kids involved, everything needs to be in the best interest of your kids. And it can be hard and it is tough. And I have no idea what it's like to be somebody going through a divorce. But what I do know is that as a kid, it's not necessarily about your parents and what they're going through, but how they can understand your perspective and to consistently try and you won't always get it right right but to consistently try to understand your kids perspective mm-hmm. is really all your kids really ask for um and if you're trying that step number one um and your kids will be forever grateful so um you know of course my blog gives a um perspective from the kid and I really encourage people to read it just because I think that um, it's important kids are heard, but equally it's so important for parents to get the help from people like yourself, Kate, because ultimately it's when they work on themselves that their their kids reap the benefits. Amen, sister. Absolutely. Bella, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and your really, really unique and important perspective. I think the work that you're doing is really just so important and just really valuable. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Kate. It's been really nice. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.